Well, hey, everybody, Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show, Portions Recorded. Well, I'm serious about this. I taped this yesterday. Today is Passover, if you're listening to this on Thursday. It's Passover, and I don't do any work on Passover. I just sit and uh, relish in the fact that I've been passed over. You know, we're this week we observe three historical events. I'll get to the, the latest on the climate change series, by the way, which is... I just appreciate your feedback so much. It's been great. I've enjoyed every bit of it, and it's going to continue skyjacked, skyjacked weaponizing the climate. So, uh, and by the way, this is episode number 163 that we're into right now. But we're about to observe three historical events that irreversibly changed the entire world. First, the Passover, then the crucifixion, then the resurrection. Now, in the Jewish Passover, and we had our Seder dinner last night. Again, I'm recording this on Wednesday. You're listening to it on Thursday. So Wednesday night, we had our Passover celebration. Uh, God gave the promise of a Redeemer, a sacrificed lamb to the Jewish people that night in Egypt. For those of you who know the biblical story. The sacrificed lamb, the Messiah, whose innocent death would provide mercy and forgiveness to those who accept and receive him. So that's the Passover, the significance all these many years later. The crucifixion, and by the way, there's so much symbolism in the Passover meal. Oh my gosh. You know, you've heard of communion, you know, the, the body and the blood of Jesus, the bread and the wine. In in the Passover, there's a moment where you drink what's called the cup of redemption, the cup of redemption. That's the cup that Jesus shared with his followers the night before his death. This is the cup of redemption. This is my blood. This is, this is what Jesus said. And then you have, of course, uh, the bread, the bread, which is so important. It represented Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And, and the bread of affliction, is the piece of bread in the Passover ceremony that's broken. Isn't that interesting? That's the piece of bread that Jesus broke during that Passover with his disciples. This is my body, click, broken for you. Take and eat. So that's the Passover. Then the crucifixion. This is where the sacrifice for our sins occurred. And by the way, hundreds of years before this event, the ancient prophet Isaiah predicted a savior. He predicted a Messiah who would die like this. He said, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. This is in Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. That's Good Friday, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection celebrated traditionally on Sunday. Jesus conquered the grave. This is the promise he gives to all of his followers as well. No leader, no technological advancement, no war, no victory, no speech, no political movement has ever made such an indelible mark on all humanity as the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Ah, these are exciting times. And uh, exciting times in all ways, shapes, and forms, too. We're seeing a, a day and age which many are describing as the last days. Well, in fact, Jesus said these are the last days. With the coming of Messiah, 
and particularly his death on the cross and resurrection, that was the start of the end times, the last days. And I think even if you're not a religious person, you're just watching the scene, you have to admit, things are getting crazier than ever. People are in a, a state of delusion, right? Yes, interesting times indeed, but exciting times at the same time. So now let's talk about Skyjacked, weaponizing the climate. And I go back to my notes here because I really want to share with you the modern, the modern environmental movement and the roots thereof. You may have to go back to the last episode to get caught up, but I was talking about Karl Marx and then his early disciples who, including Vladimir Lenin, who discovered that we can use and we have to use nature. In fact, it was one of Karl Marx's uh, disciples who came up with the term ecology. We need to use the ecology as a tool to break capitalism. That's essentially what he was saying. So now we have yet another one of these disciples from Karl Marx. This guy didn't know Marx, but he was trained by one of Marx's disciples. His name's Charles Elton. He was writing in the 1950s, talking about ecological issues that could be used to smear capitalism, especially American liberty. But it's interesting because after Elton and his writing style was so fiery. And again, I mean, when you listen to, when you read Elton's words, it's like listening to Al Gore speak. Just super fiery, way, way over the top. But I digress, as I often do on these podcasts. Uh, let's continue here because he, his fiery writing style was really the template for people like Rachel Carson and Paul Ehrlich. Uh, they wrote bestsellers. Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, Paul Ehrlich, Population Bomb. Both authors brazenly stated what they determined necessary in order to tar America's Republican form of democracy and its free markets as failed experiments that could only be resolved with progressive doses of socialism. But let's talk about Carson first. She held a degree in zoology. She worked for the United States Department of Fish and Wildlife doing brochures from 36 to 1950. She really wanted to become a successful author. Her first effort fell flat, but her second book, The Sea Around Us, proved her to be a gifted word stylist. I mean, she, really, she was a great writer. A decade later, she released Silent Spring. And if you look closely, you'll see how she was influenced by a whole cadre of Marxists. One was H.J. Muller, Nobel recipient, genetics. She makes references to Muller all the time in this book, but she doesn't mention this. Muller was a anti-American socialist. He left America in 1932 and moved to Germany. Germany was just start, starting Nazism at that point in time. He got to see it up close and personal, thought, eh, not the kind of socialism I like, and so he moved to the Soviet Union. It's true. Carson was also taken by the work of uh, Arthur Tainsley, who we mentioned in the last podcast, Ray Lancaster, Charles Elton. In fact, Charles Elton was fundamental to the development of Carson, Carson's ecological critique because three years before Silent Spring, Elton wrote The Ecology of Invasions by Animals and Plants. Kind of an awkward title, but 
he employed his new ecosystem concept that he helped develop. Again, this is a guy, disciple of Karl Marx, develops the ecosystem concept. He did it, again, as a system that could very effectively take a, take a swipe at capitalism. And so uh, she, she bought some of his arguments. In fact, she borrowed his reign of death line. This was a term that came about by Elton. She used it, reign of death. She used it in a letter to the New York Times. Reign of death, the reign of death falling indiscriminately from the skies. A fourth influence on Carson was her friend, Robert Rudd. He was a professor of zoology, University of California, Davis. He is noted, uh, described, I should say, by a noted socialist historian as, quote, a sophisticated left thinker with a deep sense of ecology, sociology, and political economy. That's a socialist. It's a communist. Carson first contacted Rudd in 1958 to receive assistance in writing Silent Spring, and they developed a very close relationship. In fact... Two of uh, Carson drew extensively on Rudd's research in two of the chapters in Silent Spring. One's called And No Birds Sang, and the other called Rivers of Death. Kind of morose, right? But this book sold, and it convinced. It was excellent, excellent propaganda. Diabolically so. Now, for Carson, ecology had emerged as the basis for a radical challenge to the human domination of nature. Nature, in the modern world, she in the modern world, excuse me, she declared, the modern world declares and worships the gods of speed and quantity, and of quick and easy profit, and out of this idolatry, monstrous evils have arisen. So again. You know, capitalistic societies, we like to work quickly, we like to work effectively, we like quantity, we like efficiency, we want profit margin, and she calls this idolatry. She calls it a monstrous evil. Friends, that's a snapshot. When you hear these kooks at the WEF talking, this is what they mean. When they talk about Great Reset... This is the kind of stuff that they're talking about. Carson proclaimed the struggle against the massed might of industry is too big for one or two individuals to handle. So then borrowing directly from Marx's laws of matter, in a rare television interview, Carson stated that, quote, man's endeavors to control nature by his powers to alter and destroy the world inevitably evolve into a war against himself, a war he would lose unless he comes to terms with nature. So she's saying, you're going to destroy the world. You're going to destroy one another. You need to submit to those with a better brain because your brains are inferior. Marx's laws of matter. Now we have a couple years later, we go to Paul Ehrlich. Well, what about Paul Ehrlich? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Paul Ehrlich was the guy who wrote Population Bomb. Ehrlich, Professor Emeritus, Stanford University. Many best-selling social engineering books over the decades. But the bomb was his first big hit. And like Silent Spring, it became required reading in many public schools in the early 70s. The battle to feed humanity is over, he falsely prophesied. In the 70s and 80s, he said, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death. 
in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. That prophecy was so wildly false. My gosh, in the Old Testament, he'd be stoned to death. This is incredible. This is, this is wild and reckless. And yet this guy remains kingpin. 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 This anti-human message, it was a hybrid of radical thought, drawing from the concepts articulated in Marx's Law and Matter, drawing from von Liebig's guano argument, drawing from Lenin's radical conservation program, uh, drawing from even, you can go to Malthus and his essays on population written in 1798. These were all the thinkers, the crazy, wild thinkers that Ehrlich was employing as he wrote this book. He contended that improving the lives of the lower classes or improving agricultural conditions were fruitless because these steps, he said, would only encourage humans to have more offspring, which would exacerbate the original problem and prevent society from perfectibility. You know, it's interesting. We talked about this in the last podcast, but Ehrlich, Ehrlich contends and I don't think I don't think he ever changed. I think it's 1.5 million to or excuse me, 1.5 billion to 2 billion people maximum on planet Earth. That's all he said we could handle. You know, but there are 8 billion now. And for those of you who do a lot of flying cross country in the United States or around the world, you look down there and uh, most of what you see is wide open spaces. There's, there's lots of room for development. There's lots of room for expansion. There's lots of room for distribution. If we have any pro population problem, it's a distribution problem. Because what are they doing? The, the leftist mindset is move us, corral us, get us into urban settings, stack and pack housing. Easier to control. Smaller carbon footprint, easier to control. Here's what Ehrlich said in Population Bomb. This is a very prominent passage and I'm going to read it to you a cancer is an uncontrolled multiplication of cells the population explosion is an uncontrolled multiplication of people we must shift our efforts from treatment of the symptoms to the cutting out of the cancer the operation will demand many apparent brutal and heartless decisions that sounds like a cult leader the method to Ehrlich's madness was revealed in his action plan. Our position requires we take immediate action at home and promote effective action worldwide. We must have population control at home, hopefully through changes in our value system, but by compulsion if voluntary methods fail. Did you hear that? This is that Marxist mindset, that, that elite mindset. We know better than you do. We're going to give you a chance. Try population control at home. We now call it reproductive rights. Okay? You can, you can even go get an abortion. But what we hope is, what we hope is that there will be a change in your value system because if not, we're going to have to compel you. So that means re-education. And what that's always meant in, in societies, when re-education doesn't work, then what do they do with you? Mm-hmm. So Carson convinced a generation that modern liberty, ingenuity, free enterprise, and capitalism were the problems ruining the planet. And then Ehrlich introduced the solution, a change 
in our value systems by compulsion if other methods fail. You know, Marx and his writing buddy, Frederick Engels, could not have executed a more effective one-two punch. Wow. Okay, tomorrow we're going to talk about pollution on parade as we continue this history lesson getting us to the modern-day environmental movement that believes climate change must be stopped otherwise. We'll talk about that. Uh, Shalom Alakam to all of you. This is, of course, the Passover. I'm recording this on Wednesday, day before the Passover, but it's available for play, obviously, today. We'll be back live, so to speak, for tomorrow. Really appreciate you. Thanks for joining me. BrianSussman.com is the website. Brian Sussman Show is the Facebook page. And for daily doses of inspiration, please check out my Instagram feed. It's at Brian Sussman Show. God bless you, my friends. And... Until next time.